Hello, and welcome to this audio edition of Philip Pusher's program notes for upcoming concerts by the Chicago Symphony Orchestra. I'm Rich Caparella. Concerts by the CSO on Thursday, January 6th through Saturday the 8th feature guest conductor André Derrida and pianist Inon Barnaton. The program includes music by George Gershwin from Porgy and Bess, a symphonic picture, as well as Rhapsody in Blue. And after intermission comes two works by Ravel, Piano Concerto in G and Bolero. Here are program notes by Philip Huscher on Porgy and Bess, a symphonic picture and Rhapsody in Blue. Gershwin made his first appearance in Chicago in June 1933, the hottest June the city had known. The concert, given by the Chicago Symphony Orchestra on the 14th, the night before the historic premiere of Florence Price's First Symphony, was part of the orchestra's Century of Progress series at the Auditorium Theater. Gershwin performed his Concerto in F and Rhapsody in Blue. I have never played before in Chicago, and I am not well known here, he told a reporter when he got to town, ignoring the fact that Rhapsody in Blue was the most talked about piece of American music at the time. He said he was working on a sequel to Of Thee I Sing, and someday I want to make an opera out of Porgy, he said, referring to the 1925 novel by Dubose Hayward. I have been thinking about it for some time. It has a plot just as vital as the plot of Pagliacci, and it will lend itself to a highly melodic treatment. I want to use a lot of melody with modern harmonization. The auditorium was filled to the last row on June 14th, and the crowd was thrilled to hear Rhapsody in Blue played as it should be, forcefully, brilliantly, and with a grand sense of style by the man who wrote it. He seems never to have cast the eye of desire in the direction of music being done on the other side of the Atlantic, the Tribune said. The Chicago American wrote simply, He is the music of America. That November, the Arts Club of Chicago hosted a show of modern paintings from Gershwin's private collection. Mr. Gershwin has bought wisely over a number of years, the Tribune said. Picasso's moody absinthe drinker from 1901 was the gem of the exhibit, but there were also Kandinsky's Linyefleck, Line Spot, a purely abstract work that caused much discussion, and works by Derain, Mogliani, Chagall, and Dufy. And there was one painting, Negro Child, by Gershwin himself, a reminder of his abiding interest in the American Negro and his itch to make an opera out of the story of Porgy and Bess. Working from a libretto by his brother Ira, along with Hayward, Gershwin began to write his great three-act opera, Porgy and Bess, in late February 1934. The full score, all 700 pages of it, was finished in September 1935. From its premiere on the 13th of that month in Boston, Porgy and Bess has provoked controversy, discussion, adulation, and even outright dissension because of the story it tells, the white men who tell it, and its categorization as a Negro opera. But the unforgettable melodies and the modern harmonization Gershwin promised the Chicago reporter have firmly held the attention of the music world ever since, even as the opera itself has had a rockier history. Gershwin made his own orchestral medley of selections from Porgy and Bess in 1936. He later entitled it Catfish Row, but the most popular version has long been Robert Russell Bennett's Symphonic Picture, ordered for the Pittsburgh Symphony in 1943 by its then-music director, Fritz Reiner, a decade before he became the Chicago Symphony's music director. Reiner, 
one of Gershwin's favorite conductors, had invited the composer to Pittsburgh as early as the 1920s and led the second-ever performance of Gershwin's An American in Paris. A symphonic picture includes nearly all the beloved songs from Porgy and Bess, though not in narrative order. This is a celebration of tune and atmosphere, of rhythm and color, not a snapshot of the opera. It was Reiner who drew up the meticulously detailed scheme for the orchestral suite, dictating the selection and sequence of the numbers, as well as the overall key scheme, which include Summertime, I Got Plenty of Nothing, Bess You Is My Woman Now, It Ain't Necessarily So, and the grand finale, Oh Lord, I'm On My Way. And more than a decade before Porgy and Bess, Rhapsody in Blue had entered the world unceremoniously on February 12, 1924, in New York City, as the 22nd of 23 pieces on a Sunday afternoon program misleadingly entitled An Experiment in Modern Music. It followed the livery stable blues with barnyard sound effects, a semi-symphonic arrangement of tunes by Irving Berlin, and a suite of serenades by Victor Herbert. Then stepped upon the stage, sheepishly, a lank and dark young man, George Gershwin, the New York Times reported, and launched by the spectacular clarinet cadenza that Gershwin had jotted down in his sketchbooks scarcely a month before, Rhapsody in Blue made history. Organized by band leader Paul Whiteman, the concert proposed to trace the evolution of jazz, although the comments printed in the program, boasting about the tremendous strides which have been made in popular music from the day of discordant jazz, which sprang into existence about ten years ago from nowhere in particular, are hardly promising. Rhapsody in Blue alone justified Whiteman's dubious experiment by single-handedly opening a new chapter in the history of jazz. Ironically, Gershwin knew nothing about Rhapsody in Blue until a few weeks before the concert when he saw his name in the New York Tribune. George Gershwin is at work on a jazz concerto. When Gershwin called Whiteman to ask him what this was all about, the band leader managed to persuade the 25-year-old composer to write something scored for piano and orchestra for his concert, even if it wasn't a concerto in name. Shortly thereafter, with time quickly running out, he offered the services of his band arranger, Ferdy Grofay, to help with the orchestration. Gershwin wrote most of the piece on an upright piano in the family apartment on West 110th Street, where Grofay dropped by almost daily, as he later recalled, for more pages of George's masterpiece, which he originally composed in two-piano form. Despite the rushed, haphazard circumstances of its composition, Rhapsody in Blue is a more carefully designed and thematically tight work than is often claimed. The first 14 measures, from the clarinet's opening wail to the jaunty, accented theme in the winds that shortly follows, contain the raw material for much of the piece. Nearly two-thirds of the way through, a big piano cadenza Gershwin improvised, playing from blank pages, leads to the famous main slow theme. With a final stretch of brilliance and panache, Gershwin brings to a close what is arguably the most beloved 15 minutes in American music. When Gershwin returned to perform a second time with the Chicago Symphony Orchestra at the Ravinia Festival in July 1936, the crowd was so large, reportedly more than 8,000 people, most of them gathered on the grounds as the pavilion, which only seated 1,400, had long been sold out, 
that many were forced to climb trees to catch a glimpse of the composer, Gershwin played the piano solo in his Concerto in F and Rhapsody in Blue. Probably for the first time in their lives, one reporter wrote, several members of high society accustomed to having the best seats had to jostle with everyone else for a place to sit or stand in order to see and hear America's new sensation. Program notes by Philip Husher on Gershwin's Rhapsody in Blue, and before that on Porgy and Bess, a symphonic picture, also music by Gershwin. And now on to Maurice Ravel's Piano Concerto in G, a work lasting about 21 minutes. Ravel wrote home from his first tour of the United States in 1928, I am seeing magnificent cities and chanting countries, but the triumphs are exhausting. In Chicago, at the matinee concert of the Chicago Symphony that he conducted on January 20th, Ravel accepted thunderous applause throughout the afternoon, a standing ovation at the end of the program, and a fanfare from the orchestra itself. But Ravel hated the sub-zero temperatures here and throughout the heartland. He shivered in Minneapolis, Omaha, and Denver, too and was happy to move on to Los Angeles, where he had lunch with Douglas Fairbanks, who spoke French, and declined breakfast with Charlie Chaplin, who did not. The greatest thrill of his crazy American tour was meeting George Gershwin, who wanted to study with him. Ravel turned him down flat. You would only lose the spontaneous quality of your melody and end up by writing Bad Ravel, he said. Ravel returned home to France weary and famished. He found American food virtually inedible, but assured that his fame was truly international. Later, in 1928, Oxford University gave him an honorary doctorate, calling him the glory and delight of his beloved country, a man mighty with talent, both lively and tender, who persuades the learned that Pan is not dead. But Ravel would only live to compose three more major works, a ballet, Bolero, which quickly became so popular it embarrassed him, and two piano concertos. The concertos, one for the left hand and this one in G major, were written simultaneously. The left-hand concerto was commissioned by the Austrian pianist Paul Wittgenstein, who had lost his right arm during the first weeks of the war. Ravel originally intended to play the other concerto himself, but by the time he put the final touches on the score, he realized that his health was rapidly declining and he would never perform it. He was soon diagnosed with the brain tumor that ultimately made it impossible for him even to sign his name. For years, Ravel had contemplated writing a concerto for Marguerite Long, who had studied with him as well as with Debussy, and it was she who played the first performance in Paris with the composer conducting. The premiere was a triumph, although Ravel's conducting lacked clarity and elasticity, in the words of one critic. Ravel subsequently ignored his doctor's orders and went on a four-month tour with Long to introduce the concerto throughout Europe. They also recorded it together. Ravel described the work as a concerto in the truest sense of the word. I mean that it is written very much in the same spirit as those of Mozart and Saint-Saëns. He had originally thought of calling the work a divertissement to emphasize its lighter qualities. The concerto makes use of long-discarded material for a Basque fantasy Ravel had begun around 1914. It opens with an allegro that suggests a Spanish fiesta spiked with American jazz. 
occasional blue notes and trombone smears confirm how carefully Ravel had listened when he and Gershwin visited Harlem jazz spots together. A frequently repeated melodic tag recalls the opening tune of Gershwin's own Rhapsody in Blue. The velvety slow movement, for all its lush harmonies and French sonorities, is deeply indebted to Mozart. In fact, Ravel told Marguerite Long that he wrote it slowly and painstakingly, two measures at a time, with frequent reference to Mozart's clarinet quintet. The opening uninterrupted melody is much longer than any phrase in Mozart, an unadorned piano solo that unfolds slowly, twisting and turning in unexpected ways, all in one huge breath. The third movement was an afterthought, an exhilarating, saucy finale composed shortly before the premiere and designed to leave the audience in high spirits. Program notes by Philip Husher on Ravel's Piano Concerto in G. I'm Rich Caparella. Thanks for listening.